Welcome to Truant Talk, where we dig deeply into biodynamic, regenerative, organic farming and wine growing at Truant Vineyard in Oregon's Applegate Valley. Joining us today are our Director of Agriculture, Garrett Long. Hi, thank you. <laughs> and winemaker, Nate Wall. Hello. Uh, intentionality is foundational to the practice of biodynamic farming, and this requires a lot of planning. And in January, we make plans for the entire year. Our goal is to follow and encourage our soils and plants to follow the rhythms of nature, which drove their evolution. Following those natural cycles means not only following the flow of the seasons, but also paying attention to Earth's relationship to our solar system, especially the moon. Tracking those relationships is incredibly complicated. Fortunately, there are several calendars published to help guide us through making our plans for the year. To start, I'm going to ask Garrett to talk a bit about the, the most important aspects of those calendars and the, the moon and the planetary relationships we're interested in following. Yeah, thanks, Craig. You know, we, we really take our indications from Steiner's original lectures back in 1924 um, that's been, you know, kind of summarized or called the agriculture course. Um, Steiner referred to and pointed to these cosmic influences from the sun, the moon, um, planets and the stars, you know, uh, the, the constellations as important factors that can be worked with or can be factors even working against us in agriculture. And he really challenged um, practitioners and, and the attendees of, of the course he was giving to experiment with these rhythms. And a, a very well-known practitioner, Maria Thune, uh, a German practitioner, uh, notably has done a lot of work since the 1950s, the early 1950s really, um, and she really contributed deeply to the creation of, of one of these calendars that Nate's going to talk about. Um, but before we jump into those calendars, um, I want to say briefly that there is a real practical notion behind all of this. You know, we want to talk about how in our farming practices we can incorporate lunar rhythms and other planetary rhythms um, to guide our practices, but ultimately, it's really important to use common sense with an eye to the weather. And, um, you know, these, these lunar rhythms should really refine and enhance what we're doing rather than, you know, paralyze us um, or, or make it so that we are unable to, um, you know, we're postponing decisions, for example, until just the most perfect time. So what I mean by that is we look first to the climate, you know, before we care about you know, what zodiac the moon is in, or whether it's a good day to be transplanting or pruning, we first look to just the weather, you know, is it pouring rain, we're not going to go out and drive our tractors in the rain, we're not going to be um, doing pruning in the rain, for example, it's something that's on our mind here in January. So um, those are just some of the basic um, tenets that we like to follow here is, is to just to be practical, first and foremost, rather than dogmatic about these lunar rhythms. So, Nate, we're using several calendars. Uh, everybody has their favorite. Why don't you talk a bit about the calendars we use and, and uh, what they tell us? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the more the merrier with these calendars. Um, they, they often relay similar, if not identical, um, information, but they all do it in a slightly different way. Um, this is because the... The, these those, these rhythms of of the of the solar system of the planetary motions um, the moon um, how the moon travels both around 
um, the Earth and and the solar system. Um, those are those are well known and can be predicted just mathematically as far into the future as you would like. So um, you know all of these calendars have similar information about these movements, but they they lay them out in a slightly different way, and it makes certain calendars, I guess, more helpful in different situations. And so, I guess one of the one of the ones that we like to use is called the Celestial Planting Calendar. And right on the front of it, it says a guide to planting and harvesting using nature's rhythms and ancient wisdom. And I think this goes back to what Garrett was saying: is that um, you know, and and I guess in the U.S. especially, people are are maybe more familiar with the Farmer's Almanac which is a very similar concept. It's trying to use um, natural rhythms that that farmers, you know, agriculture has known for a while. I mean, in fact, just as a tangent, which I love to do, um, the reason humanity created calendars in the first place was for agriculture. So like we needed to have methods um, to, to figure out when to time the planting and the sowing of these different crops. And like, you know, without timepieces, without things like this, we used the movement of planetary bodies in the sky as our calendars. So like, you know, when the sun rose in, or set, you know, in a certain constellation, that's how we knew what time of year it was. And so it's like, oh, well, this time of year, if we plant this crop, we know we'll be harvesting it at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the, the, the use of calendars completely originated in agriculture and farmers just had this intrinsic knowledge of, of um, how their crops responded um, to these some of these different motions. So um, it was just, you know, with the dawn of agriculture came the dawn kind of of these calendar systems. And a lot of what this is doing is just trying to hold on to that knowledge that was gained, you know, kind of over almost evolutionary um, time spans of humans, you know, working with agriculture. So I think that's just an important point um, about why we even have these calendars. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, Garrett, maybe uh, you want to talk about like on the calendars, like kind of uh, some of those rhythms that we use um, and uh, and like maybe the relative importance of, yeah. of different ones. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we're going through and, and planning out our biodynamic activities and our schedule for the year, one of the most important rhythms that we're paying attention to is the is the descent is the ascension and the de- descension the <laughs> word descending descending movement of of the moon. So um, Maria Thune called this running high and running low, referring to the apparent ascent and descent of the moon in the night sky over the course of a two week period. And so it's ascending for two weeks, and then it reverses and, and appears to descend for two weeks. And that that running high period um, is 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 related to sort of the the sap flows and the turgor pressure in the plants meaning that as the moon is ascending it has this gravitational pull upward and it's 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 influencing the growth of leaves as well as more importantly flowers and fruits and during the opposite two-week rhythm there's more of a downward focus meaning the plant may uh, invest more energetic resources in growing roots rather than um, reproductive bodies. And so, you know, again, these are really based on uh, decades and decades of experimentation that Thun and other practitioners uh, were doing throughout the world, really. And um, it's their body of experience that has shown that especially when you use the biodynamic uh, preparations to 
make your soil or your land more sensitive to cosmic influences, that a lot of this research has been based on continually uh, refining our practices uh, and informing our practices with these lunar rhythms. And that's one of the ones that's really important to us is that is that ascending or descending movement of the moon. And Nate, that's really captured well. I mean, I'm looking at one of your calendars where you've highlighted that movement. Do you want to talk about maybe the Stella Natura calendar? Yeah. Um, and just to further your point on, on the moon, you know, I, th- I think, you know, interesting that you started with that ascending and descending. We haven't discussed phases of the moon, which I be- you know, is the most obvious to, to yeah. more people. They look up at the night sky. Sometimes they see a full moon. Sometimes they see, you know, a crescent moon. And, um, you know, so they know that the moon changes that way in a cyclical pattern. But perhaps it's a little less obvious, you know, the sun does the same thing. And so like people are more used to the fact that in the winter, the sun is lower in the sky. And in the um, summertime, the the sun is higher in the sky. Um, You know, that is a much longer annual cycle. Um, The moon has a similar ascending and descending cycle. It just occurs much, much faster. Um, And so, you know, that that is what the calendars, you know, help us track that motion along with and in concert with the waxing and the waning of the moons. Um, and I guess since I mentioned the sun, actually, um, like the most obvious um, cycle um, of all is is the daylight cycle of yeah. the rising sun and the setting sun. And so um, to kind of double down on, on that ascending or descending moon, if the, if the sun is rising versus the sun is setting, that's another upwards or downwards um, motion that we can um, kind of try to tap into. So... Um, certain certain um, practices that we're attempting to do that we want to emphasize that upward motion, those practices generally occur in the mornings, right? As the sun is rising and kind of amplifying that upward motion, whereas certain practices that we'd be looking for a more downward or root-based, um, you, know, you know, earth or water um, type connection to, um, we would do those in the afternoon when the sun is setting um, and hopefully corresponding with the descending moon phase, things like this. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so um, yeah. That, can, I, can I jump in real jump quick? In? Yes, yeah, please. I wanted to say, you know, Steiner talked about the phases of the moon as well in his first lecture. And so I just wanted to quote him. He said, quote, something stupendous takes place on the earth as a result of the full moon's forces. These forces shoot into all the vegetative growth but only if the full moon was preceded by some rainy days. I love that Steiner is, is, is being practical in this. He's like, yes, of course the full moon is going to influence this upward growth and sort of the, the movement of, I think of it as these, you know, aromatic compounds in aromatic herbs um, or, or, or um, these unique and complex flavors in fruits and seeds, like for grapes. example, like grapes, <laughs> for instance. Um, but he's very practical, and he says only if it's preceded by several days of rain. And, you know, modern scientific studies have really confirmed this in many ways, showing that plant metabolism and growth and water absorption, that they tend to peak around the full moon. Um, the ancient Romans knew this, and, and I thought it was funny, too, that my dad told me this when I was younger. He did a bit of uh, logging in Washington for a short time. And the ancient Romans and my father advised that felling trees near the full moon um, would lead to further rot because the wood would contain too much moisture, that if you harvest it around the full moon, those sap flows um, uh, make actually less quality wood. So, you know, there, 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 is, there is real scientific evidence that supports all of this. It's, it's you know, I'm referring to these decades-long experimental um, studies, but there's um, 
evidence for this throughout the, the world and throughout several different industries, whether you consider forestry a part of agriculture or not, the USDA does. But um, I think there's really interesting um, outcomes to working with these lunar rhythms. Yeah, so, um, so one of the things these calendars then help us track is both um, the, uh, the ascending and descending um, of the moon, and um, basically there, the, the moon will continue ascending until, um, actually there's a point um, where it passes uh, what's called the ecliptic, which is kind of this plane that runs through our solar system that the planets orbit on, um, and uh, the moon spends most of its time within this ecliptic, um, but does um, a te- a periodically go slightly above for um, a short period of time, and then on its downward trajectory, it will it will pass through the the ecliptic and go below for a short period of time um, before it reaches its its height or its or its I guess depth of its arc. Um, but anyways, the calendars help us know when those times are, um, and then basically the column immediately after that. Um, is talking about the the phases of the moon. So Scarrett was mentioning, you know, the the full moon is a very different time for a plant than like a new moon. And so the phase of the moon is something else um, we can we can kind of work with. It's an added rhythm that can either amplify a certain effect that you're looking for or can um, work in opposition to. So you can imagine that if you have an ascending moon um, at the same time as a full moon, there's a lot more upward. Um, kind of forces going on, but if you have that same ascending moon with more of a new moon situation, there's going to be a little kind of cancellation of yeah. some of those effects. So um, you know you can still, it, it, you know, practically speaking, we'll still need to do some of these um, activities when it's most feasible from a weather perspective. Like you know, this isn't a dogmatic approach, um, but we can certainly try to plan out our year and pick the ideal dates um, well in advance because, as I mentioned, these. These cycles are, you know, this is just math. We, we can, you know, calculate when these uh, different phases of the moon or um, different kind of planetary conjunctions occur. And so we can plan out an idealized schedule for the year. I mean, and then, but when we're actually, you know, in it, like, yes, the, the, the weather and other concerns maybe dictate exactly, but at least we know when we'd like to do these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, one of the things that I think comes up a lot, if you've ever heard people talking about either, you know, referring to the Farmer's Almanac or any of these planting calendars, we're associating the four elements of fire, air, water, and earth with different parts of the plant. So the earth element is related to roots, fire is related to fruit or seed, water is related to stem and leaf, and air sign or air, air element is related to flowers. And so, you know, we'll talk about doing certain practices like planting on a root day or harvesting on a fruit day. And so let's talk a little bit about where those, um, where those ideas come from, I guess, because all plants have all of those parts over the course of their reproductive cycle. But as gardeners or as farmers, we're really interested in, for example, we want a grapevine with really good quality fruit. If it's got, you know, of course it's got roots, but if it's an overly bushy grapevine with little fruit, then that leaf element has been accentuated as opposed to the fruit. Or, or conversely, in the, in the vegetable garden, you know, we want a, a, uh, a radish root as opposed to radish flowers. Or we want a lettuce leaf as opposed to the lettuce 
root, for instance. And so we can, um, we can accentuate those plant parts that we desire to harvest or work with depending on the, the, the movement of the moon. So Nate, we've been talking a lot about you know, the, the orbit of the moon around the Earth and Earth's movement around the sun as well as the planetary orbits. But also the moon is, and all of our planets are moving within the context of the greater constellations, right? The 12 zodiacs. So let's talk about the movement. <clears throat> In yeah. That way. So, um, you know, again, most people are most familiar with the constellations of the zodiac um, in relation to astrology, um, which is, uh, you know, kind of goes on roughly a monthly time frame because it's related to where the sun um, is. Well, actually, where the sun was um, quite some time ago when the, the zodiac was first kind of um, set in stone um, in terms of the, uh, the astrological significance. Um, but this, this calendar does not use the um, astrological um, dates for the zodiac. It uses the astronomical dates for the zodiac. So if you, you, know, if you think you've been living your whole life thinking you're a Leo, you may look in this book <laughs> and find out that you are not because that is not where the sun is actually rising and setting um, today. You know, what, thousands of years um, after uh, they first came up with this? But I was I devastated did. to find out I'm a Virgo. It <laughs> shook, shook my whole worldview. I am still a Leo, though, so I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, anyways, you know, the, the Zodiac in that context people are familiar with, but the moon also transits through all of these um, same constellations. The reason these constellations are important is because they lie on the ecliptic. Um, so, like, that is how they can be used as a calendar um, because... You know the zodiacs will be on on this plane. You know at at different times of, of the year um, from a solar perspective, but the moon, since it's traveling around the Earth, does so um, much more rapidly. And so generally, every three days or so, the yeah. moon will transit from one of these twelve constellations to another. And historically, um, these these constellations have been um, tied with some of these different elements that Garrett was discussing. Uh, Garrett, do you want to? Yeah. Talk more about that. Yeah, thank you. So exactly. Every two and a half days, the moon rotates into a new astrological sign. Um, And so as I was saying, you know, let's take, you brought up Leo, for example. Leo is is one of the three fire signs. Um, uh, And so when the moon is in a fire sign, such as Leo, this is considered a fruit day. This is a great day to be working with plants that we want to accentuate the fruit qualities. We keep talking about grapes because we're a winery, but also we grow tomatoes here. We grow squash in the garden. These are all fruit plants, so to speak, because that's, the again, the part of the plant that we want to accentuate. Wait, a tomato is a fruit? It is. Oh, it is. It has seeds. Um, but, you know, of course, a, a big bushy tomato plant that has that leaf element uh, accentuated would be a disappointment, right? That's not exactly why we're growing tomatoes. Um, and so it, it, I wanted to quote somebody else as well. Bernard Hack, an old biodynamic farmer as, as well, he described the moon as a kind of, of lens to focus the forces of the constellations, rather like a magnifying glass focuses the rays of the sun as it tries to ignite a fire with it with its heat. So meaning that, uh, you know, between the Earth and the constellation of Leo lies the moon, therefore magnifying or accentuating that fire element on Earth, influencing those fruit plants to accentuate those fruit qualities. And, the, and, and as we said, that rotates every two and a half days and gives us a lot of opportunities to be working with different types of plants. It works really well in the vegetable garden, although it can be complicated quickly. 
Um, but but if you don't like the sign that a uh, uh, that the moon is in, wait a couple of days, and it might really start to line up perfectly. So we can start to plan some of our activities both on a weekly basis as well as zooming out as we do in the beginning of January as a team to plan our whole year's biodynamic practices, like for example, to guide our prep making um, or, or harvesting of the prep plants, for example. So you can already see that we've got kind of four like rhythms that we've just discussed. We have the sun rising and setting. We have the moon basically rising and setting, ascending or descending. Um, we have the phases of the moon that it's going through. And now we have this fourth rhythm of, you know, the, um, you know, as the moon is, is moving, which, you know, which uh, constellation. Uh, constellation basically is it helping to focus? Like Garrett yeah. was mentioning, is it helping to, is it that lens that's helping to focus a fire or fruit element? Or is it a lens that's helping to focus, you know, water or leaf or stem elements? So um, all of these do not move in lockstep, however, you know, they all have slightly different timings um, on their cycle. And in some cases, quite a bit, right? Like, you know, two and a half days versus, you know, a lunar cycle, which is, you know, more like 28 days for yeah. a full cycle. Um, so there's, that's why these calendars are necessary because, um, you know, you need to look, you, there's no way of intuiting um, what this is going to be. Um, and, you know, each year, um, the calendar shifts a little bit from where it was the prior year. Um, you know, so like, because these, um, these rhythms, you know, don't perfectly overlap. So, you know, they'll, they'll be staggered. And so sometimes during like, this is, um, for me, like when I'm looking for, um, harvesting, say starting in, you know, mid September or so in October, um, I would idealize be looking for something like, say we're working with fruit, right? So we would want fundamentally to be working in a fruit time. Um, we want, um, what Garrett was talking about. Of trying to bring up all these aromatics, up all these interesting compounds into um, the the grapes. So we would be wanting to look at ascending times. Um, you know, ideally, then, right, uh, the sun is is rising. We want to be harvesting in the morning. You know, we generally always do that, anyways. But um, that's that's a rising. We would uh, prefer to have an ascending moon. Um, we would prefer to have that moon um, be. Uh, in, in front of one of the fire signs or, or fruit days to help focus that fruit energy, um, cosmologically speaking. And, you know, the, then the, the, the trifecta um, would be, or quadfecta, whatever that is, would, would be if we could also then have like a, uh, a waxing or a, you know, in, in kind of enlarging moon, um, just all of these upward forces. That's just an example of, of trying to link up all of those um, different rhythms we've been discussing for the purpose of, in this case, trying to pick grapes at a particular time to try to emphasize everything we want that grape to be. Yeah, perfect. And ascending and descending are relatively long periods, so a farmer has a lot of uh, latitude to work with in those. Yeah, those, those two-week periods, um, again, that research that Maria Thune did really demonstrated, she even called it just transplanting time. That two-week period of descending moon is a great time to be transplanting your crops from your greenhouse into your garden, to be sowing seeds to, uh, uh, or excuse me, I didn't mean to say to be sowing seeds, that's better to do in the ascending moon, excuse me, but to be transplanting um, along with those downward rhythms, it does give you that two-week period um, to, to hopefully find that specific leaf day, fruit day period within that two weeks. Um, that would be really favorable. 
And Nate, you, you, we've covered the two calendars, the celestial planting mm-hmm. calendar, the Stella Natura calendar, and I've brought up Maria Thune several times, and, and her family carries on her legacy. She passed away... 2012, I believe. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't that long ago. Um, and so her, her, her sons, I believe, are carrying on her legacy and continue to publish the Maria Thune Biodynamic Almanac for 2024. Um, and there's some really unique stuff here, too, that's really guiding, for instance, our, our prep work with, um, with these vegan preparations or, or log preparations. We buried yarrow blossoms in a birch log recently to great effect. So let, let's talk about some of the differences with the Maria Thune Almanac. Yeah, so um, this uh, Maria Thune uh, Biodynamic Almanac 2024, this is more, I mean, it is a, a calendar, but it's, it's more in like booklet form um, as an almanac. And um, as Garrett mentioned, um, Maria was the one who really did um, decades, like 50, 50 years worth of experimentation in her own garden uh, on trying different, um, uh, different processes at different um, kind of uh, different combinations of lunar cycles and, and of these uh, you know, constellations, um, you know, fire sign, uh, uh, you know, earth sign, water sign, and just looking through now this this almanac doesn't have these pictures but um other books of hers do and just looking at the pictures oh this is um you know harvested on this day this is harvested on that day or this was planted you know in this phase this was planted in that phase shockingly different uh you know and it's just from her little patch of garden in germany and you know decades of experience kind of brought her to um this understanding that um you know as garrett mentioned it's like you know, the, these, these lectures in, in the 20s, um, well, I should mention that 1924, so it's the 100 ago. years of biodynamics, um, it, it were, were just the starting point. And there was this call to, you know, go forth and experiment, like find how this works, you know, just on a broader uh, scale, but also for each individual farm. And obviously with biodynamics, that farm organism and the indiv- individuality of each farm is very important and so an understanding of your own, you know, place in the world is, is part of what biodynamics is hoping to, like, have you learn. Um, and, uh, yeah, some of these calendars are some of the ways we do that. But um, in, in the almanac here, um, the Tune Almanac, is um, more information on some of the timings of these biodynamic preparations, both in terms of how we might want to harvest the raw materials to make them, um, when we might want to actually make them and or bury them or, or hang them, or we can, this is a deep dive. We'll, this will be a separate topic that we will get into, but, um, you know, uh, and, and then uh, specifically, like Garrett mentioned, um, there, was, there was a time um, in Europe uh, with, with mad cow uh, disease going on where uh, the practitioners were not able to use uh, any of the um, animal uh, parts that are often associated with some of these biodynamic preparations. Um, Steiner uh, often linked, not, not all the preparations, but several of the preparations have a link between like a plant or herbal element and then an animal element. Um, uh, you know, sheathing is, is what they called it. So like a plant element wrapped in a, an animal element. And during this time, um, they were unable to, to use those elements. And so Maria Thune did what she did best, is she started experimenting with all these other ways of having non-animal-based um, sheathing, basically, and came up with these, um, 
these log uh, biodynamic like log preparations, substituting specific species of trees for different types of of biodynamic preparation use, um, and through experimentation, found great success in the creation of these. So um, that is something that Truen has been um, experimenting with as well. Uh, we have been doing this in concert with um, the more traditional biodynamic preparations. But um, you know, Garrett, I want you to just ex- you know, you just came back from this yeah. great um, prep makers um, conference gathering, and um, yeah, talk yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, I did have the opportunity to attend the annual gathering of the Fellowship of the Preparation Makers. Great name, <laughs> fantastic name, great group. True Fellowship was 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 found and and cultivated over this four day gathering in Northern California. And we, we culminated that the final um, event was a sensory evaluation by about the 50 of us that attended this gathering. And it was such an amazing experience. The whole gathering focused on two preparations, 502, the Yarrow prep, and 507, the Valerian preparation. And many of us brought examples of our own preps. And we uh, did basically a blind sensory evaluation it was really neat to, to go in in silence in this room and take the caps off of all of these mason jar lids containing each of these preparations made by a different practitioner or different group of practitioners from all over the country and to evaluate them, to smell them, to meditate on them. There was some energetic evaluation going on by certain people there. Um, and surprisingly enough, there are uh, versions of consensus um, that, that were that were reached about the quality. And I think a lot of that comes through experience and just your own personal sensory perception of them. But to get to the point, we brought our yarrow preparation that was prepared in the birch log. Again, not the way that Steiner indicated, um, but the way that Thune indicated. And it was put as one of the 11 yarrow preps. It was secret. And as it was revealed, everybody was asked, hey, what'd you think of number 11? Was that a good, was that, how would you rate it on a scale from one to five? And there were a lot of fives shown up, which is, which is the highest quality. There was good consensus about the quality. It was transformed, it was colloidal in nature. It was this dark colloidal smear on it. Um, um, and, and a lot of people really felt that, that energetically it, it was, it was a, a beautiful preparation, which I think surprised a lot of people in the room as well. Um, and so I think it's just really encouraging for us to continue on with these, with this experimentation to really follow in, in the legacy of Thune and to continue to, uh, reflect as an individuality of our farm and the nature of our farmers to pursue these experiments further. And so maybe just kind of in closing, we can, we can, Talk about what these rhythms really mean to us on our farm and, and yes, how you incorporate them, but really why, why, what does it matter? What does it all mean to you? One thing I want to go back to what you were just saying, <laughs> because I love that it was a little bit of like a gotcha moment, you yeah. know, um, where like supposedly we were supposed to be presenting our traditional biodynamic preparations um, for evaluation. It's kind of like bringing some like 16% alcohol wine to this like you know, minimal intervention, like low alcohol, like wine tasting and just like blind people on it. And um, like every once in a while, you can find this amazingly balanced, you know, high alcohol wine. People will love it. And you're like, actually, you know, this is not at all what you were thinking. Um, And so I think it's kind of funny, but also really um, encouraging that that's exactly what happened with, um, with our own experimentation. 
And um, experimentation is something we love to do in all aspects of what we do here. Um, we do it in the winery all the time. We've had several podcasts um, on that, um, but uh, we also do it in our vineyards. And um, I'd like you to just, um, you've described before the practice of biodynamics, and this kind of feeds into what we've been talking about. And I like your explanation for that, mm. if you could give it again. Sure. Yeah. Um, I really have found in my about 10, 11 years of practicing biodynamics that it is truly a practice that the more times that every season is an opportunity to go out there and practice again in the making of these preparations, the planting of trees, um, all of our farming practices that are guided by, you know, these indications given by Steiner and built upon by all of the practitioners over the last hundred years, we really do stand on the, the shoulders of giants. And what I've gained from my own personal practice is, is a deeper sense and a deeper, a, a, d- a deeper sense of the influences, the relationships between planetary influences, um, elements, plants, and their uses on the farm. Um, we're really excited to experiment more deeply this season with some of these prep plants and preparations, using them in novel ways. Um, and and uh, like, for example, um, using more um, nettle teas and equisetum teas. And I think my appreciation for the practice, and this is really the meaning of all of this, both biodynamics and lunar rhythm specifically, I find it to be a humbling practice. I find it to, to be, um, I find myself recognizing that I'm a very, very small part of this whole universe and the movements and rhythms within it. And so while it's both humbling, it's also inspiring to recognize that we can leverage these forces for good, for healing the planet, for growing more nutritious crops, for um, um, healing our relationships as well to both land and to each other. And so I find this inspiration in the kind of greater cosmos and while it's not always possible to incorporate or to address all of these rhythms, I still find inspiration in it um, and, and try to bring that into my farming practice and make every year better than the last. And kind of speaking along those lines, I was reminded um, as we were going through setting up our 2024 um, annual um, you know, biodynamic um, practices like schedule, Um, of how far we've come. So in 2018, speaking of this being a practice, you know, right when Troon was first transitioning into biodynamics and organic viticulture, regenerative practices here, um, our our 2018 biodynamic schedule was like about a page and a half. Um, And uh, we talked about um, the first two preparations that we um, personally made on on our farm here was um, preparation 500 and 501. So the kind of the, the foundational preparations in biodynamics, the yin and the yang, um, the upward and the downward, um, you know, the, the kind of the cow manure, um, uh, cow horn uh, preparation, as well as the silica uh, cow horn preparation. And, and that's just where we started. And uh, so we just had, you know, some information on that and the timing of the applications on that. And that was our 2018 schedule. You know, fast forward to 2024, it's now like our eight or nine page document. Um, We go through all of the preparations, um, barrel compost. We talk about various field sprays um, and we continue to try to integrate more. Like um, in this year, we're trying to go beyond just the kind of prescribed uses of many of these biodynamic preparations. 
which um, most of them are, are for um, the compost pile specifically and to help enliven different aspects of the compost such that when the compost is applied on the land, it does receive the benefits of these um, various um, biodynamic preparations to aid um, the, the plants in, um, in various aspects of its physiology, which we'll go into later um, in, a, in a further episode. But, um, you know, trying to move beyond some of these and using the, some of these preparations directly um, for, for uses um, in our vineyard um, on our farm. So, you know, again, this is a practice and uh, year after year we've continued to develop it and we get comfortable with working with certain aspects and that's like it's time to, to kind of keep going further and experimenting more and adding more onto um, our 2024 schedule such that it's now, you know, eight, eight nine pages long and I'm sure 2025 will be 10 pages long. And, um, <laughs> but that's kind of the fun and the excitement of doing it um, and it is, I think, a great way of learning biodynamics is, you know, and, and this is uh, as we first started, our, our uh, biodynamic consultant, Andrew Beattie, um, said, you know, like biodynamics shouldn't be a chore. Um, you know, if you try to just jump in and do all these things, you're going to see them just as a chore and you will not have the intention that Craig started this whole podcast with um, because you'll just see it as something you need to do. And it will be really hard to have the intention necessary behind that act of, of making these preparations, of applying them, um, because it's just one more thing you need to check off. But if you start layering these slowly over time and, and you see the rationale behind it, you see you know, the application and you see the results of that application, you know, you're excited to add on to that and to kind of continue deepening that practice you know, at, at your, on your farm organism that you're continuing to learn more about. So um, I think that you know, that's, that's why it's, it's fun for us to sit down in January and like think about what we're going to be doing this whole year, like setting that intention and um, but embracing it, you know, with excitement, you know, not dread yeah. um, of, of how long our schedule is getting. We, we always think of these things in, in terms of agriculture and, and farming. But Nate, you mentioned uh, your harvest decisions are impacted, but also seller decisions are, are, are affected by these rhythms. What are some of the considerations you have to take into account yeah that's right and, and that's that is a much less well-defined aspect of biodynamics um you know biodynamics in the vineyard and the, in the garden and in the farm um are are much more i guess studied and and there's more publicized literature of people who've tried different things and failed on some and succeeded on others and there's a more i guess well-trodden path um in that uh some of the some of the biodynamics in the cellar is um, perhaps a little less um, obvious, a little less intuitive, but um, we do um, certainly follow these rhythms as much as we can. Um, for example, um, bottling is, is an easy example. Uh, we have to schedule our bottling about a year out. Anyway, we use a mobile bottling truck that comes onto our site. It's great. I love not having to have our own bottling line um, because the bottling shows up. There's someone whose job is every day of the year to run this bottling line. They can dial everything in in a couple minutes. They have every spare part necessary in case something goes wrong. Um, it's just great. If you have your own bottling line, you only use it a couple times a year. Inevitably, something breaks or doesn't work when you try to start it up and it's frustrating and bottling's already you know kind of uh, traumatic enough. And, um, so yeah, this is great. But because we have to uh, schedule these so far in advance, I mean, I basically try to get the biodynamic calendar as early as I can in the fall when they release it. And then I immediately send an email to um, 
the the bottling company and said okay great um, i have three bottlings this year um and my preferred dates are this this and this um and uh sometimes they like say oh well we can't do you know um march 15th but how about the 16th and i'm like actually that's not gonna work um how about april 2nd and they're like wait what i don't even understand what you're doing and it's like yes i know you wouldn't think one day would make a difference but hey if i have my pick of all days i'm going to pick the best ones um so yes we there there are some things we do um racking is kind of an obvious one um if you're trying to to rack wine um off of off of its lees uh, it's a good time to do that would be during a lot of these descending rhythms that we've talked about um, when the leaves will likely be more compact at the bottom of the barrel say so um, if you're trying to take the wine out and leave you know settled material behind try to work with those descending rhythms both you know you know um, if you can uh, you know starting after lunch you know um, uh, but then uh, certainly lunar um, elements as well um, working with fruit signs as you can because again ultimately we want that uh, fire um, or, or fruit element we're working with wine we want to accentuate that element although sometimes uh, you know if secondarily if you're working with certain types of white wines and, and you just can't get the calendar to work out um, and get the stars to literally align um, for for fruit a flower is is a good alternative especially if you've got some aromatic white wines with these floral characteristics you know that's not a bad um, second option and it just gives you more options to try to get done what you need to get done to, to make the bottling happen so um, that's one example of a rhythm you know bottling might be a little different you might want to make sure that the wine is is expressing its characteristics more fully so instead of some of those descending um, characteristics you might want ascending characteristics when that wine gets put in the bottle because puts in the bottle you know gets gets a cork on it um, it's a little bit setting things in amber although um, Troon's wines since we are um, you know we, we're very minimal intervention we don't use additives uh, we don't find, we don't filter. Our wine continues to be a living and breathing thing, um, even in the bottle. Uh, so it hasn't been sterile filter. Um, it hasn't had the life literally removed um, from that from that product. So um, ours may not be as set in amber as, as others, um, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, it allows for the evolution of that wine um, after bottling, which is kind of why you want to set that starting point as best you can. So. If I can get these perfect dates on the calendar, I will select those for bottling. But every once in a while, just you can't make that happen. And you might try to do a second or even a third tier. But it's better than, you know, having no intention. Again, it all comes back to intention. It's better than having no intention on those um, bottling dates or racking dates or just, you know, picking a date randomly uh, out of thin air. It's like at least we have intention behind what we're doing and we can strive to, to, to work with these rhythms as much as possible. Yeah, I, you know, you can grow good produce without following these rhythms. But I always look at, at, at trying to achieve these uh, precise dates and alignments is going for that, that extra quality, that extra little edge, that tomato that has more flavor, the wine that has more life in it. And, and I think it's worth it to invest that time if you're going for peak experience. Well, I like thinking about this in terms of like the Olympics, you know, like you, you look at all these top athletes competing and like the times, like, you know, fractions of a second 
are the difference between being on the podium and not. Um, and like the same way as like when, you know, like in the world of wine, there's, you know, thousands of participants, you know, hundreds of thousands of participants and um, the, a lot of really great wine out there being made, you know, more so than any time of history, we are um, have just such great choices out there spread before us. And the difference of, you know, a fraction of a second or just that like little bit can make the difference between a really good wine and, and a great, amazing wine. And so, yeah, if we, if, we have, if we have all things working for us, you know, that might just be that little, little fraction of a second that pushes it over the edge. Yeah, yeah, it's that cherry on top, right? I mean, Craig, you, you brought Biodynamics to Troon back in 2017, 2018, and you've watched this evolution to go from just making 500 and 501 to this now 10-page document and this intensive planning experience. I think Biodynamic as a practice, I've heard you describe as really meaningful. Can you speak to what these lunar rhythms, I, I know you've been also inspired by like the fertilization effect of the moon and some recent scientific studies on that. What, what do these rhythms mean to you? Well, well, first of all, I think the goal is is to connect to, to, to natural rhythms, you know, the way that the natural soil system evolved to work, the way the plant evolved to work. And they all evolved in this environment with the plant, the moon and these cycles. And you referred to the, you know, these were the calendars that, that people had in the past. There's interesting research now, you know, people, the moon obviously is a huge part of this uh, process we go through and people tend to automatically think oh it's the gravity they relate it to the tides but now there's there's this new research that's come out with uh, there's a scientist in Italy who has you know looked at that increased plant activity you referred to but they connect it to the reflected light of the mood and that's that's a cycle that comes. there's so some uh, american scientists discovered that the moon has a tail and once a month this tail like a comet and it come that once a month that tail comes across uh, the earth and it's primarily made of sodium now what do these things mean we, we don't really know and I think I think that's the interesting part of biodynamics there's just so much that we don't know and biodynamics I think respects that so do we know why the moon is doing all these things not necessarily not yet anyway so I, I think that's that's the the part is that it, you know you're looking and you see improvement we've seen improvement in our wines and our soils and so forth so we know these things are working we just don't know always know exactly which parts i'm i thank you craig i'm i'm de most definitely motivated by that myself sort of what the asking the questions of why and building experimentation uh and research projects around uh, trying to figure out the why behind biodynamics is personally very motivating to me i did my master's degree in soil science and I've been a biodynamic farmer for more than a decade. And while those two may seem at times uh, at odds with each other, a, a very like strict land-grant university, UC Davis approach to agriculture versus biodynamics as on the other end of the spectrum involving spiritual science and lunar rhythms, um, you know, there's, there's a perception that these may be at odds with one another, and yet I find this beautiful balance in in using the scientific method and to and to really refine our questions uh, to better understand these cosmic influences and how that cherry on top can really um, make a wine uh, push a wine into that that excellence. Um, so yeah, I'm personally motivated by that too. 
Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's quite the process. We'll be sharing uh, more of this in the future, going over kind of a month-by-month plan. It takes hours and hours to to work work all this out, but we really feel it's, it's, uh, it's really a good investment of our time, and we feel that we are making things better. In an upcoming podcast, we'll be looking at that, and we'll also be having a, an in-depth discussion uh, on the cycles of the moon itself. So we will continue to build on this topic and thank you, Garrett and Nate. Absolutely. Thank you. We are happy to share this podcast from Troon Vineyard, a Demeter biodynamic and regenerative organic certified winery in Oregon's Applegate Valley. We farm like the world depends on it by growing produce in our gardens and naturally crafting authentic wines. We will be sharing these in-depth podcasts several times a month. To learn more, I encourage you to visit our website at TroonVineyard.com and those of the Regenerative Organic Alliance at RegenOrganic.org and Demeter Biodynamics at Demeter-USA.org. Thanks for sharing our voyage to regenerative agriculture with us.